You are good, you are good, for your love endures today. You have to say that in faith, don't you, when you watch the news. And uh, that's partly what we're going to be looking at today. That God's love endures. And I want to thank you, Richard, for these songs. I know, uh, you know, Richard flies all over the country, driving his little popper car around and wondering what to do on Sunday. But you've been inspiring today, in terms of, anyway, where I'm coming from. These are the days of Elijah. I thought, oh, we sing these songs, days of Elijah, what's all that about? But righteousness being restored. And though these are days of great trial, of famine and darkness and sword, still we're a voice in the desert crying, prepare the way of the Lord. Behold, he comes. It's truth. Mm -hmm. It's truth. And who, O Lord, can save themselves? Their O song could heal. Our shame was deeper than the sea. Your grace is still deeper still. And you alone can rescue. You alone can save. That's the message of the Old Testament and the New Testament. You alone can rescue. You alone can save. Thanks, Richard. Well, thank you, God, actually. Thanks, Richard. This is Eugene Peterson. The human race is in trouble. We've been in trouble for a long time. Enormous energies have been and continue to be expended by many, many men and women to get us out of the trouble we're in, to clean up the world's mess. The skill, the perseverance, the intelligence, the devotion of the people who put their shoulders to the wheel to pull us out of the muck. Parents and teachers, healers, counsellors, rulers, politicians, writers, pastors are impressive. But the centre and core of this work is God. The most comprehensive term for what God is doing to get us out of this mess we are in is salvation. Salvation is God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. Salvation is the biggest word in the vocabulary of the people of God. The Exodus is the powerful and dramatic and true story of God working salvation. That's his introduction to the book of Exodus. Uh, I always like his introduction to books. They're good, they're informative, make you think, wake you up. So we're looking at Exodus. Over the next five weeks, we're looking at Exodus. And my encouragement is, read the book. (laughs) Don't rely on the preacher, because we're incredibly fallible. Read the book. Let God speak to you. And if you haven't got a Bible with you now, can you please get one anyway? So feel free to stand up. Don't be embarrassed. Those of you who know me know that I find preaching really difficult. um, Because I... Scripture is holy ground. And we're talking about God here. (laughs) Not some text or doctrine or something we ought to believe. We're talking about God. And I don't want to misrepresent him (laughs) in any shape or form. And we're touching on things of faith and humongous affairs of this world. And it's not cheap. So if I get it wrong, forgive me. So get back into Scripture. Check it out. (laughs) Please. That's where all our truth lies.
I suppose my prayer for this morning is that our awareness of God would transcend our understanding or comprehension this morning somehow, just because God is so amazing and vast and wonderful and he loves us and cares for us. We're looking at Exodus 1 and 2, the first two chapters of Exodus, and it's the faithfulness of God. And on your uh, little leaflet, which you picked up when you came in, you'll see that in the next five weeks we're looking at different aspects of Exodus and aspects of God, actually, over the next few weeks. So it'd be great if you read the chapters before next week and the following week. But anyway, here we are, Exodus 1 and 2. And I want to look at three things, or different perspectives. God, it's the first one, it's good news. Evil, not such good news, but a reality. And man, So I want to look at God, I want to look at evil, I want to look at man, and see how these things interact in Exodus. And I believe they interact very strongly today. And now rather than reading the whole of Exodus 1 and 2, which we could do, but I'm going to read the summary, which is Acts chapter 7. And you'll find that on page 773 if you've got one of the church Bibles, one of these red ones. So I'm reading Acts 7, verses 17 to 34. And this is um, when Stephen was hauled up in front of the religious people of his day, the Sanhedrin, and he's going through the history of Israel. And uh, so it's a summary, if you like, of Exodus 1, 2, and 3 in this section. So it's starting at verse 20, uh, sorry, verse 17. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of our people in Egypt greatly increased. Remember, it's Stephen speaking, so it's, so it's our people. Then another king, who knew nothing about Joseph, became ruler of Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so they would die. At that time, Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was cared for in his father's house. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his fellow Israelites. He saw one of them being ill-treated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you're brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was ill-treating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to look more closely, he heard the Lord's voice, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals. The place where you're standing is holy ground. 
I'll stop there. That's in the beginning of Exodus chapter 3, if you know your Bible well. It's the first few verses. We've wandered into chapter 3. Okay, now if you turn to Exodus then, it's the second book of the Bible, but I want you to turn to the end of Exodus, which you'll find is on page 71. I want to set a context for the book. It says in verse 34 to 38 of Exodus 40, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses wasn't able to enter the tent of meeting because of the cloud that settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So by the end of Exodus, God is manifestly with his people. They've erected this tabernacle in the desert, and God's presence is with them 24-7, all the time, day and night. God is walking with them, hallelujah, through the wilderness. That's the context. So now we go back to Exodus chapter 1, and we find it wasn't like that at all a little bit earlier on. So within a man's lifetime, a whole nation had moved from being in abject slavery, far from living in the promises of God, to being a nation that knew God was with them, present with them all the time, leading them day by day. There's hope. (laughs) There's hope. So, Exodus chapter 1. If you want to turn back in your Bibles. It starts with a list of the children of Israel. Twelve tribes. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asha, and Joseph. Why? Because they were the people who'd been given promises by God. But at this time, evil was in ascendancy. Pharaoh, he's the king, the leader of Egypt, was immensely powerful. The people considered Pharaoh was part God, part human. Sort of half divine. And we read in verse 8 of Exodus chapter 1, there was a new king who knew nothing of Joseph. So the context is that, if you remember, the children of Israel had fled into Egypt because of famine, and because Joseph was already there by the amazing providence of God, they were able to live there. But this new king was there. They reckon it's about 60 years after Joseph had died, and there was a revolution. An old dynasty had passed away, and Egypt was overthrown. And Upper and Lower Egypt now became one kingdom. I've got a slide of that, actually. Uh, Sorry, Colin. Just wake you up. Okay, this is a... Over in Egypt, there's various kind of relics and things all, all over the place, but this is how they used to celebrate... Well, this is how they celebrated the, the tying of Upper and Lower Egypt, and this, this kind of emblem is shown in several places in Egypt. It's likely that this new pharaoh was from Upper Egypt, which, funnily enough, is in the south, because Lower Egypt is the Nile. Okay? 
And it's probably, probably he knew nothing of the Hebrews or the story of Joseph. If we can have the next slide, please. Because when... Uh, yeah, here we are. So Upper Egypt is in the south, Lower Egypt up north. Because when Joseph was alive, it says in Genesis 46, Joseph's advice to his family when speaking to Pharaoh was, when Pharaoh calls you in and says, what's your occupation? You should answer, your servants have tended livestock, just as our fathers did. And you'll be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. So they went and lived in Goshen, the Israelites. Okay, I'll put a ring around it up there on the left-hand side. The thing about Goshen is that it's between Egypt and the whole area of Canaan on the right. So this new pharaoh would have seen anyone living in Goshen as kind of being on the border with the violent tribes in Canaan. And so if Israel had gone into league with the Canaanites, then Egypt would be big time under threat. So there's a lot of politics going on here, a lot of the same thing as is going on today, frankly, posturing and who's on whose side and this kind of thing. And so as a result, Pharaoh wanted to oppress the Israeli people because they were increasing in number. So he gave them, it says their lives Moses becomes the greatest leader that's ever lived. He becomes the most revered Old Testament person in the New Testament. Moses turns up more than anybody in the New Testament. He's one of the cloud of witnesses that we talked of last week. Crying out to us, saying, go for it. Run the race. God is faithful. Look what he did through me. God is faithful. He built God's tabernacle amongst men. God dwelt there. He, he designed this mercy. Well, God told him this mercy seat. So God, where does God dwell? He dwells above a seat called mercy. Not a judge. Mercy. Between two angels who are constantly worshipping. This is the God that I want to be known as, God is saying. And his wonderful instructions through Exodus, which seem so long and detailed, they're precious. They're wonderful. They show us so much about what God is like. How merciful and gracious and kind and detailed and just he is. Hmm. So, concluding, for all of us, when we hear the news, let's understand that God is Lord of all. doesn't matter what Pharaoh calls himself. We could rattle off names of these leaders across the world. God is still Lord of all. And sometimes we have to hold on to that by faith. But let's also recognize that he's our Lord, my Lord, when I don't feel I'm up for it. Because of whatever it might be, your upbringing, your background, the fact your parents seemed to desert you, whatever it was, our confusions, failures, disappointments, it's not the end of the story. 
Hallelujah. What a saviour we have. Let's be attentive to God's call for the burning bush. Something beside, we'd almost miss it. Let's be attentive. And let's take off our shoes and abandon to him. (laughs) But also, if you're a parent, let's recognize that our children are beautiful to God. Beautiful to God. But let's release our children to the purposes of God. And that can be a hard thing. Must have been so hard, wasn't it? When you think about it, for Amram and Jochebed, or I've forgotten the name, Jochebed. So hard, but they knew this was God's child, and they were able to entrust their son to the providence of God. That takes faith, doesn't it? By faith, Moses' parents released him to God. By faith, Moses refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to be ill-treated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing Pharaoh's anger, and he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Hallelujah. So, we're in turbulent times, and I'm utterly convinced it's not going to get easier, but more difficult. Scripture tells us that, really. But what a God we have. What a God we have. So, as we learnt last week, let's run the race. Shedding off stuff that slows us down, and any sin that trips us up. And let's focus on Jesus our Saviour, the God of Moses, who can take us through so we see God's kingdom come, we see salvation come in this generation, in this community, in this Bristol, and by the mercy of God in this UK and across the world. Are these the days of Elijah? Righteousness being restored. Although they're days of great trial, of famine and darkness of sword, still we're a voice in the desert crying, prepare the way of the Lord. Amen? Amen.